Winfield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. Welcome in Reno. Sorry about your Wolfpack. Ladies, they fell today to UNLV 84-47. In about 20 minutes, we're going to talk to Shannon Kelly from Nevada Sportsnet, so we'll get into that. We'll also get into the uh, Rebels pack men's game over the weekend and then what's on the horizon now for Nevada when it comes to the NCAA tournament because bracketology ain't looking real good right now for Mountain West Conference hopes of getting three or especially four teams in. We're at the Thomas and Mac. Right now we're tracking the second game of the day in the women's brackets. What do you got in front of you there? New Mexico still leading? 64-62 New Mexico New Mexico ball, 241 to play. And somebody just scored. Sounds like it was probably New Mexico. You want to do the big four by yourself? I want to go watch this. Uh, Very exciting. I got the uh, play-by-play. 66-62 New Mexico. Ah. I'll update you on the play-by-play. All right. Big four time. Battleborn Injury Lawyers presents the big four at four. Number four. We'll get the Derek Carr in about seven minutes. Former Raiders quarterback picked the Saints. Lot lot to talk about around that story because, again, Derek Carr said he wanted a organization that uh, plays for championships, strives for championships, kind of taking a shot at the Raiders, and also one that was stable with the owner and the coach. So we'll see uh, Dennis Allen. I'm not sure that Dennis Allen's going to be around for four or five years. But, hey, you got to go. You're being courted by three places. you got to pick one of them. And if 35 mils on the table, that's a pretty good deal. We come out of the gates, though, in this 4 o'clock hour. God, what a weekend. What a weekend that just passed in the uh, – the state of Nevada. So much cool stuff to cover. Um, I want to talk USC in our final hour in terms of the fight with John Jones and also the uh, ladies championship fight, but I was just bombarded on social media by Jake Gyllenhaal and were they, so he's, I didn't know they were doing, I actually didn't know they were ready to go with the new roadhouse. So he's in it and he's the main character and I guess the storyline is, what is he, some sort of Burned out USC fighter, or what? Or, or was his dream to get? Do you know the storyline? Uh, was his dream to well, get to the USC, and that's why he's working at bars, I will, kicking ass. I will say this: haven't seen the first one. You haven't, so I don't know what the re- relation would be. Don't be embarrassed, because I actually watched the entire Roadhouse for the first time about three weeks ago, and man, it's a fun movie, but it's incredibly, incredibly so cheesy. What it makes it, this is this is what I heard. I don't know this to be true. Yeah. What I heard is that, yeah, it's a former UFC fighter. That's what I figured. So would a down-and-out athlete make sense for the main character of Roadhouse? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. A, so ba- yeah. a badass who would go in and have to clean up a really violent bar. And I'll just tell you from the first one, you know, it's typical, like, there's one of these small-town guys who controls the town and just runs roughshod over everyone and and this guy's got to not only clean up the bar that he wants to run, but he's also got to clean up the town. So, I mean, that, that works, out, that works out pretty nice for Gyllenhaal. He's a washed-out UFC fighter. I might watch that. So, yeah, if, I mean, what I'm saying is, yeah, I know it would be like somebody who's a kind of a badass, but it would make sense that they're past their prime when they go do this cleaning up the town thing. I guess that's the case. So, uh, yeah, they were filming fight teams all week. Uh, it was involving uh, Jake Gyllenhaal against Jay Haran, who is a former UFC fighter turned actor. Uh, looks like he was the other, he was the middleweight champion. Jake Gyllenhaal beats him uh, in the fight to win the middleweight title. They also filmed at the uh, at the weigh-ins 
So there might be a weigh-in scene, then the fight scene, there's the walkouts. But they wanted a, the authenticity of actually doing it in a UFC event. So they were doing it all throughout the weekend. Um, I don't know how much they're going to use. I would assume if it's just like a, hey, this is who he is, establishing scene, that it probably won't be a whole lot of it that's used. But they've been filming in the Dominican Republic. I talked to uh, Michael Chandler, who's on The Ultimate Fighter. He went to the Dominican Republic and filmed a little bit. Conor McGregor is in uh, Roadhouse. He's, uh, I think, like the third highest you know, on the on the uh, credits. Is that right? So he must have a pretty prominent role. He was there for the for the filming. He was the one that was kind of getting the crowd fired up off camera. Uh, like, hey, look, I'm Connor here. Like, yeah. let me get into this the thing. Crowd, the crowd was into the fight now, scenes. I will say. Because the arena was pretty, it looked pretty empty on his walkout. You could see in the background, I'm sure they'll CGI that. But once they started, because I got to see the fight scene from, I think it was like BT Sports out of uh, well, they, out of England. It was like, it was, you know, you could see they were pulling punches and stuff, but they'll make it look good. But when when the events were happening and there's knockdowns and, you know, big moments, like the crowd was roaring. Yeah, but I'll also tell you this. They filmed a lot of the fight scenes early on in the night when there wasn't a whole lot of people there. But then they filmed the walkouts a little bit after that. They, uh, they did like okay. four or five, six maybe run-throughs. And then during the main card, they came out and did another Jake Gyllenhaal walk when everybody was there. Uh, okay. So I think that they'll probably use that for the walk. The magic of movies. Uh, so, yeah. So, I mean, it was, it was pretty wild all throughout the week. Got to see a lot of that uh, going on. I will say the one thing that was weird to me, would it, it would make sense that he's a good guy because the crowd seemed to know. It's like during weigh-ins, they went, r like, uproarious for yeah. Jake Gyllenhaal and booed Jay Haran. And I said, well, how do you know who the good guy and the bad guy are? doesn't make any sense to me. I don't right. know how they figured that out, but I, I kind of thought maybe he was the bad guy, but apparently they knew enough to cheer for the good guy. Well, one thing that really made an impression or how he made an impression on social media was his conditioning. Jake Gyllenhaal is 42 years old. Now, yeah. I know he's been yoked in past movies, but Daniel White was asked about uh, how Gyllenhaal looked. What would you make of Jake Gyllenhaal's uh, physique at 185-pound division for the movie Roadhouse? <laughs> Listen, what, what, what can I say? He looks good. I don't think he's been USADA tested, but uh, he looks great. Maybe he's using too much of Paulo Costa's secret juice. Possibly. <laughs> Good joke. Uh, way to throw another guy under the bus. Well, that's a, that? it's, a, it's a running thing with Paulo Costa, who's been accused of steroids time and time again. When he, he says, say special juice? He said, I just have secret juice that nobody else knows about. All right, okay. I retract my statement. Yeah. I thought that was kind of a me moment by the media person trying to well, make a joke. but I wouldn't consider them a media person either. Oh, okay. So Schmo? Character actor. Oh, Schmo. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, he was yoked. He's ripped. He's 42 years old. Yeah. And the fight team looked pretty good. That's cool. It now, was, now was, uh, what, a, what a way to – is UFC part of – wouldn't they get some kind of profit out of that? Or are they the freaking well, – they got to get something out of this, right? Who owns the UFC? That's a good point. Hollywood, Hollywood yeah, agency. Forgot, that's right. Uh, Joel Silver, producer, very close friends with Ari Emanuel, owner of the UFC. And it appeared to me that – uh, the UFC probably said, you're not filming a movie during a UFC. Oh, wait, we are. Number three. Boy, college basketball, there's going to be some jobs open. And there was talk, I don't know, three, four weeks ago after a horrendous start by Texas Tech that Mark Adams, the guy who replaced Chris Beard, like he's, he's in trouble. And then he pulled something. Was this over the weekend? Apparently about a week and a half ago. And he then made a slave reference in trying to motivate his team. And the slave reference was from a Bible scripture. So now you have this gray area where Adams is like, well, I mean, you know, it's a, 
Bible scripture. The problem is, not only did he make this speech and offend guys on the team, but he had also spit on someone yeah. during a game and said that it was like slobber. And the player, and he was sick at the time. Well, yeah, the, the player said he was spit on by Adams. Uh, Adams said, "Yeah, I was sick and I was yelling, and you know, sometimes when you're congested and phlegmy." That happens, mm-hmm. and the player said, "Then why did you immediately say?" Again, this is reporting; it's not it's not an interview that's out public. But reporting said the player then <laughs> responded and said, "Well, then he followed it up with, I can spit on you whenever I want to.'" Now, the on the surface, like the explanation for the Bible verse thing just makes a ton of sense that kids maybe just didn't understand the reference; they didn't maybe haven't read the Bible close enough, and the reference actually is there. If he says, you know. There's masters and servants, and that's actually directly from the Bible. But it sounds like there's just a preponderance of evidence building up where, all right, one thing you can easily explain. 15 incidents or whatever it is, like you probably can't. So that that seems to be where this is coming from, and it sounds like uh, there's a lot of players that are not thrilled uh, with Adams as the coach. Today. Yeah, the Bible verse centered around, uh, quote, workers, teachers, parents, and slaves serving their masters. Yeah. You know, it seemed like a weird hire in the first place. You know, there's, sometimes there is a reason that a guy reaches his 60s without getting a big-time head coaching job. Yeah. Some guys are just better assistants. If You know, maybe you're the hammer. You, I mean, you shouldn't be saying this stuff and acting like this as the assistant, but you can at times. You can't do it as a head coach and then underachieve badly. Well, that's the key. I mean, you can if you win. And a lot of this stuff really wasn't being talked about last year because they were winning. And now they're not. And so, yeah, I think that there Uh-oh. is a – The hell just happened in the game! There's, Number two. Number two. Ooh. Oh, man. Must have been a big play. Crowd's roaring. Big crowd here at the Mountain, Sa- Mountain West Conference uh, quarterfinals. San Diego State 69, New Mexico 68 final. Oh, boy. Yeah. Oh, boy. Well, we were breaking it down earlier. I think UNLV would have, we think, a better game. Well, not easier, but uh, better matchup would have been New Mexico. They handled them twice during the regular season. San Diego State's tough. New Mexico missed a layup with two seconds remaining. Oh, no. And that was the ball game. All right, so that's the matchup tomorrow, 5 o'clock. Get your tickets now, unlvtickets.com, mw.com slash tickets. You get out to the Thomas and Mac tomorrow to root on Lee. Rebels trying to win this tournament to try to be the automatic qualifier. Man, you were all over the place this weekend. Were you doing a story on baseball? But especially minor league baseball, what was going on? Yeah, uh, big league weekend was here. Okay, so uh, you know, a lot of a uh, lot of hype around the A's for some reason here in Las Vegas, and they were here in town. So, yeah, I was out there and uh, uh, did a feature on uh, Shay Langoliers, former Aviator, top uh, top draft pick back uh, in 2019. It was risen up the ranks and is expected to be the everyday catcher for the A's after they traded away budding star Sean Murphy. Did you ask him how close he'll move to the Rio? Uh, when they're no. here in Vegas four years from now. No. No. Uh, you didn't cover that angle? Didn't want That's to. not your beat? He didn't want to get into where the team could be playing in the future. I wouldn't want good, to either. As a pl- I wouldn't want to either. Well, what are you going to say? I want to be in Vegas, and then you have right. to play in front of Oakland fans every day? What fans? That's fair. Not that risky at this point. Sure. But I wouldn't I wouldn't comment on it. No. Um, but there's a lot of stuff going around, you know, going on around baseball in spring training because of all the rule changes. Yeah. And uh, got to just kind of hang around a bunch of the players for, for a while. Uh, there's some uh, uh, some things going on in terms of uh, talking to who I needed to talk to for the story. So I was hanging around a bunch of players and um, really interesting hearing them, especially some of the guys with their first experience of the spring, uh, getting out there and, and 
pitching, and and they're used to it. I mean, they're they're practicing with the pitch clock and everything, but to actually experience it during a game was a different you know a different uh, feel for some of these guys who they say you step on the mound, it's like you check the runner, you check back, and then you look you know as you reset and look at the at the plate, you you spot the clock in the corner of the of your eye that says like three seconds left. Like oh wait, I better pitch right now, and. Just getting a feel for it is is it's definitely an adjustment. And I think a lot of the guys, I, I don't, you know, I, I know some of the pitchers, Max Scherzer in particular, has talked about he likes it. He thinks it's, a, it's an advantage for the pitchers, uh, but it is it is a process of trying to figure it all out. And I think that that's what the pitchers are going through right now. So it's definitely something to watch. Uh, it, it, the guys that I talked to, they didn't mind it. They just said it's absolutely an adjustment when you have never thought about a clock before, and all of a sudden, as you're coming set, you look and see a clock out of the corner of your eye, like, oh, I better pay attention to this. Who do you think has the advantage? Uh, I do think on some level it's it's pitchers. It is pitchers. Yeah. I think it's more than some level. Yeah. I think they've got complete control of the situation. Right, but there is time there is time when you really aren't sure what you want to throw and there you know you are trying trying to gauge the situa- situation. I think for the most part hitters hate like not being able to step out, which is a big one yep. they do that all the time and they you're being, you're, with pitchers. You're, I think in a lot of cases you're going to be rushed. Yeah, I think so. But but the pitchers kind of are too, so there's going to be time. There is going to be times when it benefits the hitters. But I think in general, if you say who is more advantaged by this, I think it is pitchers. I mean, Max Scherzer or Justin Verlander with their savvy age, they can still throw hard, fast pitching guys, right? Without much time to think. Yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> it pitchers. Pitchers who get it are going to freaking master this, and they're going to have a big advantage. Over hitters, you're going to see I, some you know quote unquote quick pitching that you haven't really seen before, but it's going to have to happen. Guys have to step in with eight seconds left, and they can't step back out, and they can't you know if the pitcher is taking a long time. I think the pitcher comes set, the batter's in there, and the pitcher's like, oh, I got 14 seconds left. All right, and the batter's just, uh, I don't know. It, it's going to be tough. It's Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. All right, rolling on Mountain West Conference Tournament quarters. Part one is done. San Diego State finally gets a lead with 49 seconds left and winds up winning against New Mexico, 69-68. And that'll be the opponent for UNLV, who took out the pack big, 84-47 to earlier in the day. Did you get to watch the very end yet? Uh, no, but it sounds like it was a reverse layup after a steal with 12 seconds. Didn't uh. fall. And uh, nobody scored in the last 49 seconds of the game. And as we talked about, UNLV was played very close by San Diego State, not so much by New Mexico, so maybe a little bit of an unfortunate break for the Lady Rebels. Shannon Kelly is with us from Nevada Sports Night. You know, it's funny, earlier in the day, um, about an hour ago, we had on Linda the Rock, and I actually threw it at her, hey, if you don't win this tournament, you know, you guys should be in pretty good shape for an at-large. And she went on for like 45 seconds. She's like, nope. She, she straight out said, right, we're not getting an at-large. Based on what the NCAA has done in the past, we're not getting in at large. Now, Adam thinks that's just a motivation point to make sure she drives it home with her players. But what a freaking shame it would be after this kind of season that it's win or go home. That's a lot of pressure. That's a lot of pressure. I mean, for the first time, what is it, almost 30 years that UNLV is ranked? That's a lot of pressure to be putting on your team. They enter into this tournament undefeated in Mountain West play, the first Mountain West team to do that in a couple of seasons since Colorado State. That's a lot of pressure. And I think after today's win, though, you know, UNLV has continued to show why they are the best in the Mountain West. So what do you think of the pack today? It's tough. 
It's tough. I think that's really been the story of the season, quite honestly, because Coach Levins has said we've had a tough time putting together four quarters, and that really showed today. They were able to do so against Fresno State yesterday, but just couldn't quite do it. Turnovers doomed them. That was really the story of it. And it's too bad because two of their best players, I, you have the other box in front of you. I mean, they were super it. efficient. It was like – 18 for Megan Ormiston, right. 16 for Lexi Givens. That was I mean, look 34 of the packs. Look at what they were 47. <laughs> right? Right. I mean, the rest of the team, I think, went 6 to 36. They just got help from no one else. Mm-hmm. UNLV's good. And, and if they're going to shoot the three ball like that, I mean, they're almost impossible to beat. That was crazy. You can't. 13 of 26 from three. Uh, what was your sense after talking to them yesterday, after after a game, or what, what they were saying of what they thought their chances were? Because I, I was kind of blown away, and we were talking about it on the sideline. They were down – 26 at one point and kind of celebrating baskets and I said they're just happy to be here like they didn't think they had a chance today they said yesterday they were like we weren't ready to go home we got together in that fourth quarter there in those huddles towards the end and just said you know we don't want to go home yet we want to be here we want to play another day and, and give it our all and it seemed like you know that was the case from the start they had a little strong start there yeah. but UNLV quickly took it away. Yeah, it was 8-2 early and then 45-15 from there in the first half and UNLV jumped out to a 47-23 lead at the half. Shannon Kelly's with us from Nevada Sportsnet. So, I mean, reality was the, the women's team was going to have to pull off miracles to make it well into this tournament. The men's team has high expectations, but after the last couple of games, I don't know what kind of mood they're in because uh, Saturday was kind of incredible. I mean, I, I, thought, I thought they had a chokehold on the game. 54-46 with two minutes left. I mean, I it's funny, I, on the, when I was getting ready to go back home, I'm like, that's right, UNLV ripped off an 8-0 run, like, immediately in 51 seconds. And, I, like, I didn't – it happened so fast. It did. I mean, to think Nevada was up like that and to give that away, essentially, in your own building in front of a sellout crowd is really hard. And for that to be the first loss at Lawler Event Center for this Wolfpack team this season, I think, you know, talking with the guys after – they said, Will said, Will Baker said, you know, this is the lowest I've felt in a long time. Keenan Blackshear said, I honestly don't know what to say right now. I mean, just distraught, I think, is the best way to put it. And uh, they can't let that carry over into this week. I've always called it a one-way rivalry that Reno always wants to beat Las Vegas and everything, but Las Vegas just doesn't care. Uh, but it is, it's kind of domination right now for, for the Rebels. How much is it bothering the people, the program, everyone up in Reno that they can't beat UNLV? I think it is. I mean, it's your in-state rival. You want to have pride for winning. And right now it's been in UNLV's favor. I mean, you go back to the football game back in November down here at Allegiant Stadium. Uh, I mean, it's just it's tough, you know, for basketball, men and women. It's not easy. Um, and it's just hard, especially that game on Saturday. That was just uh, crazy, honestly, is the best way to put it. The way you describe it, I think, is somewhat accurate, but maybe not this year in that game because Kevin Kruger needed these wins. There are a lot sure. of people who are unhappy with what the Rebels have done this year, and that's a, you know, a little bit of salve on the wound, uh, you know, beating the pack twice. You know, within the game, there's, there's weird things I can't understand. I don't understand why Will Baker can't get going against the Rebels. Four meetings now, he's averaged like seven and a half points a game. He came in hot as a pistol, and it's not like – UNLV doesn't have, I mean, I think at times David Mwaka and especially Vic Iwako can play good defense, but they, they shouldn't be able to shut him down like they have. He's just like, it's a strong word, but he just kind of wilts in these games. I know, and that's what's hard. I mean, two points in the game down here, eight points on Saturday. 
how you know as you said Milwaukee he hasn't been able to you know do what he's been able to do to him all season I don't know it's just it's really hard that Will hasn't been able to find a rhythm when he's been so strong at home and against other teams in the Mountain West that don't typically play with a true center I like Blackshear but I've always I always thought it was a little bit weird that a 6'7 you know 220 pound guy is playing point guard and it's a weird matchup for uh, for him against UNLV because he can play a lot of smalls but they also played some bigger guys and while he had 18 points he just second game in a row he wasn't efficient I think in the two games now He's 10 of 32. He's a good player. And he had a, he had the ball in hand at the end of regulation. Yeah, yeah, he did. And he did earlier this season against Boise State, and, and he hit the game-winning shot. And, you know, it's just hard, I think. You know, Coach Alford said, too, after a lot of these guys haven't been in this type of situation before and had this pressure on them to necessarily continue producing in these huge moments like that, what – what moment has been bigger for them this season? There hasn't been one aside from Saturday. I mean, they split with San Diego State and, and Boise, and UNLV had a really tough time competing with both San Diego State. Both games were rough. The game up there against Boise for UNLV was was pretty solid. So I guess it comes down to a, a matchup deal. And now all the pressure is on the pack because of these two losses and the, and the quality of the opponent. Not that UNLV is terrible, but their you know their numbers aren't great. And Wyoming. I mean, that's a, that's, that's a bad loss. I mean, I think mm-hmm. Wyoming can be dangerous shooting from three. So what do you think the mindset is going in here? I mean, if listen, if anything helps Alford, I mean, the, the positive can be, hey, like, we were in a position to get to the tournament. You have to freaking make some waves here and at least get to the finals. Yeah, they have to have a clear mind coming down to Las Vegas this week. They can't let things continue to spiral, whether it spiraled or not from the Wyoming game. It was still back-to-back losses. You can't let that carry over. It's a new season essentially here in Las Vegas for all these teams because nothing's guaranteed for anybody, but they have to have a clear mind. They have to go out there and, and play their best. Know, know that they can do this if they want to have a chance at beating San Jose State on Thursday. Steve Alford's team made big strides this year. I think they played a lot better than a lot of people expected. They had a good season. But is this a is this a disappointing season? Is it all lost if they don't make the tournament? I think that's tough to say, but that's a great question because there were no expectations coming into it. This team was picked to finish ninth in the preseason poll, but now I think the way how they had set themselves up, you know, coming off that big loss to San Diego State at home, coming off a big win against New Mexico at home and at the pit, and, you know, rising to the expectations of what people didn't necessarily think this team was capable of. So that's hard because so many people are you know getting excited about Wolfpack basketball again and to come so close to the tournament it's hard to say but if you step back and look at the overall picture and Shannon Kelly's with us from Nevada Sportsnet like you said they were picked ninth um, they had a really good season Alford was my coach of the year until the last two games uh, the media poll came out today he didn't get one vote so he went from I, I thought the favorite I thought he had the best year Miles had an incredible year and based on San Jose State's history it's it's pretty nuts that uh, they wound up winning 10 games in conference. So he got coach of the year. But if you step back, this is what I'd be excited about. Um, and I shouldn't say this in Vegas because people will get all over me. But um, if I were a Nevada fan, I'd be excited about the fact that uh, you just went through senior night. Who walked, right? No one. No one. The entire team's coming back. And if they want, I mean, this is reality in college basketball. <laughs> yeah. They could also tell Good a luck couple. With that. They could also know. <laughs> well, you're right. There could be some guys who leave. Actually, who do you think there are some candidates to, to leave? I don't think so. Who are you thinking of? Every roster is different every year. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, I t- mean people could I'm come sure. in and try to steal 
a True. Baker or a Lucas. I, I would think Lucas after – I would think he's settled. Um, yeah. Is Blackshear going to leave for a third school? I don't think so. I don't think Baker's going to leave for a third school. Like who else I, is I not playing? Don't. I mean uh, – Ari, save the tape on this. But every team, every team no, is right. different. You're right. Every team is different. But every it year. is true, and there will be a couple. I mean, there are some guys who haven't seen a lot of minutes this well, year. Powell, Powell barely at, played. So. Powell, you look at freshman Trey Pettigrew, who hasn't played a whole lot. Yeah, I, I hope they don't lose him. For, so, for their sake, I think he's going to be a good player. I think so, and Coach Alford has said that if, if he's patient, he can do really well. Davidson's a legacy kid, right? He's a legacy kid. So, Because I, I would steal him. If I, were, if, I were another, if I were a Pac-12 school, I'd try to steal him. Daniel Foster's from Australia. He's been here for a few years leaving. now. Hunter McIntosh. You never see it coming. That's all. all I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not pointing out in any, any individual program. players. In any yeah. program. Oh, yeah, I'm not, well, talking about, I'm not talking about that program in particular. What do you, Anybody. What do you think UNLV's numbers are going to look like? How many, they'll, how, have, how, they'll have nine new players. That's, how, that's just how college basketball is. It's crazy. Are you serious on that, that number? Yeah. Okay. Well, Coach Alford did say things worked out pretty well for us. Yeah. After this past season, when I did ask him about, you know, right. it's senior day, but your four seniors aren't walking, and, and he said, yeah, hopefully they all come back. But here we are now, and look who left last year. We're up against it. I think I'm going to poll. We, we've always wanted to poll people like, yeah, we'll talk to you tomorrow. We'll see you tomorrow. Always, I want to do that it's on the a, phone it's sometimes. A, it's, with a, we, it's a bit we want to do. We just haven't yeah. put it into place. Yeah, I think Levitard's done it where it's like you have a long yeah. conversation with someone on the phone, and we're like, yeah, we'll call you tomorrow. We didn't get to all of it, but – we got a lot more to talk about. We'll see what happens with uh, both UNLV, but especially Nevada. Uh, Nevada Sportsnet, what's up there right now? You guys have a ton of coverage. There's a lot of stuff going on right now. We've been been pretty busy. Uh, Wolfpack baseball, softball are underway as well. They'll have uh, some home games soon. The baseball team's already played at home. Softball has already doubled their win total from last year. It's been a busy, busy time up in Reno. It's Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. Well, you're really piling on there with uh, Shannon Kelly about the Nevada situation right now. They're having a tough time in in hoops against the uh, UNLV programs. And now, I mean, glass half full for the pack, the men's, because the women lost today to UNLV 84-47. Which was expected, maybe not the margin, but one v eight. They can beat San Jose State, sure. And they've already split with San Diego State. That'll be the matchup. It'll be one four. Do I expect them to beat San Diego State? No. But if they defend, and San Diego State has one of those offensive games where they're stuck in the fifties, and you know Matt Bradley's three of twenty. If they get to the finals, they beat San Diego State, the top-ranked team in the conference, a six seed right now in bracketology then I think they have a – I'm not even going to say good. I think they have a decent shot to get into the tournament. Right now, they're la- are they they're – the, are they the last four buys or last four in? Let me look at my chart here. This, I mean, because Bracatelli literally – especially right now with all the basketball Changes games going every on. hour. Yeah. They are um, – Last four in. As so, you're looking, so, the, so they're basically in a Dayton situation. Yeah, but as, as you're looking at it, I think the the point is usually in a tournament setting. And I mean, this goes all the way back to your when you're five years old and you're you know you're playing in a tournament. You're looking like, oh, let's let's see if we can get the easiest matchup. See if we can get the easiest matchup. That's what you want. You want the team you're going to crush. But in this case, I think there actually is a benefit to all right. San Jose State is decent, but you should be able to get by them, and then you have a chance for one game that will get you in. 
it's, you don't have to win the whole tournament. You have to win that one game on Friday, and you're probably in. And, and I think it, a lot of teams will take that. So you covered some baseball this weekend, and you were talking about the rule changes. Oh, yeah. The giant bases. See what Bryce Harper said when he was uh, working the uh, Grand Marshal gig at the Speedway? I did. Bryce Harper, who should be back by, what, September, October? Is that a fantasy concern for you? or Potentially. Okay. Yeah, but yes, I did. I, I saw what he was talking about, and it's funny. I actually was having this exact conversation with somebody last night. A lot of people have had this conversation. Yeah. Uh, Bryce said... He hopes that Las Vegas lands a baseball team. You know, we've been, I think, used as a negotiating pawn for a long time now by Oakland, but maybe it's heating up. Maybe there is something brewing with some partners in the market or with the Rio. Harper said he hopes the team lands in Vegas, but prefers that it be an expansion club. I don't think a team can come here and thrive like the Golden Knights did. I think having a team like the Knights come in as an expansion is a lot different and having another major league team come in here and try to thrive. So it's not exactly the narrative I've been going with, because my narrative is it's that team, that organization, the A's. If they operate like they do now or just well, slightly above it, that ain't going to work. But I think that's what he's saying. But not saying it. Yeah, not saying he's, the, saying, the, it, he's the, saying it without not, saying it. Not saying it. You don't want that organization. That's what he's saying. Yeah. It's not his exact words, as you said. He's saying – the city would be much more willing to embrace an expansion team than an existing team, but he is saying an expansion team than that team. Uh, Rays aren't going to get their stadium deal done. Would he say the same thing if the Rays were the team? Well, I think in an ideal world, yeah, I think, but I think, you, I think you might, but not quite as strongly. But I think in an ideal world for for Major League Baseball, the A's find a solution in Oakland, and then they can turn their attention to threatening Tampa over Las Vegas. And spend a couple of years threatening Tampa and getting a stadium done there, and then give Vegas an expansion team. Like we're, I think that's just, their plan. We're just a pawn for like six years, and then finally we get a team. But the the like you say pawn, and I, that is true. Yeah. But it's weird because Major League Baseball wants nothing more than to be in Las Vegas. Yeah. But they they want to get these other stadiums done right. first. The owners also want nothing more than some you know one and a half billion dollar expansion fee that yeah. they can all share. Yeah, and, and they they want. They want Las Vegas as a market. There's no question. But they also need to get these other deals done first so then they can give Las Vegas a team and get to Las Vegas, but to have all these other stadiums done. Sarah's brought to you by Battleborn Injury Lawyer. 766-1400 is the uh, call from anywhere in the state. 766-1400 offices in Reno and Henderson and Las Vegas. I'll take the raise over expansion. Raise over expansion. It's Cofield and Company's Eye on Sports Betting with John Von Tobel. Uh, let's bring in JVT from VSIN. Hardworking dude. Did uh, 9A to 11A. This, I almost said 11P. Uh, this morning for VSIN. Back on Wednesday, filling in on the Lombardi line. John, what's up? Uh, don't forget the podcast that uh, I recorded that is up right now, Hard Handicappers, right after I was done. Uh, the article that goes up every single morning as well. And uh, I think I'm on with you guys tomorrow, right? So can't wait. Yes, you're co-hosting tomorrow here at the Thomas and Mac. So uh, you're 99% an NBA uh, NBA guy, but we'll stretch your uh, your limits here. Um, first of all, you're going to be out covering some of the Vegas madness. Uh, which tournament are you looking forward to the most? What we got going on here, the uh, semis and finals, the West Coast, Pac-12, something else? Uh, uh, the only one I get access to, which is the Mountain West. So. <laughs> 
but I I will say I can't wait for all of those. I'll watch them all on television, and the, I will. So the best part, I'm not like an Adam Hill, right? I don't get to go around everywhere and you know rub elbows with everybody and and you know visit every single arena and watch every single team. Uh, but the best part about this time of year is not only watching all the games, but how late into the night they go. So there's oh, yeah. always something to watch on television, which is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, but I will spend most of my time out there at the Thomas and Mac for the Mount West tournament, which has become, uh, I think, arguably my favorite tournament. It's a uh, it's one that has a lot of good teams in it this year and with a lot on the line with some of the teams that are seated, you know, three to four and five. And I can't wait to watch it. How good of an appetizer, though, tomorrow for everything else that goes on is if we do get Gonzaga St. Mary's tomorrow. Oh, I can't wait. That'll be so good <laughs> because obviously Gonzaga is who they are. We know how good St. Mary's has been this year, but it's fast. I always like just those basketball matchups, Adam, where it's the contrasting styles and who can implement what they want on the floor, right? Will, will St. Mary's be able to grind Gonzaga into dust and make this like a 60-possession game? Will Gonzaga be able to speed them up? And we have seen in times in, in the past, right, when they've met, really deep in the West Coast Conference Tournament, that the team that gets to dictate its tempo and its pace is really the one that ultimately kind of wins out. But I, I, it's hard not to like the St. Mary's team in the big picture as well. And I I don't want to comp them too much to them, but they're a really good shooting team. They play at an agonizingly slow pace. They're better offensively than you think they are because they play at that slow pace. It, there are some calling cards to that Virginia team a few years ago, right, that, that was actually a lot better offensively than a lot of people gave them credit for, and they ultimately won that championship. So... I can't wait to watch the St. Mary's team, too, because I think they have a really high ceiling when it comes to the NCAA tournament. So, no, you're right. That appetizer is going to be awesome, and then we get the rest of these tournaments to play out. Anyone want to take San Fran plus 14 against Gonzaga this evening? Uh, game two in their series was an 18-point win, but it really wasn't even that close. They were up 20 at the half. Zagas uh, went up uh, sweeping the series, but they actually they only won 77-75 at San Fran. So anyone want to take the 14 with the Dons? I was nah. looking at it. They've yeah. been playing. They've been playing okay in this tournament. The day off, I don't know if that hurts or helps them, but um, they've been playing all right. They look pretty good in their uh, the first game I was out there on uh, Friday night. Uh, they played really well, especially in the second half, and they were able to survive with kind of a wild one the other day. So, yeah, I think that a lot of times you see teams that play a little bit better when they have some experience in the gym too. And uh, Gonzaga's you know making their debut in the tournament, so I'll I'll, I'll look at the plus. Yeah, I think Adam's right, too, in, in looking at, like, like if they had played, like, a couple of these games, right, like Chattanooga's playing its fourth game in four days right now against Furman uh, in the Southern Championship, I think those are a little less than advantageous spots. And while you're looking at San Francisco coming off a double overtime win, to get the day off, whether or not that hurts rhythm is something interesting because you get Gonzaga, who you can argue is either well-rested or has been sitting around and just waiting to play. So I can understand it. And Gonzaga has been an overvalued team all season long from an ATS standpoint. I think they come into this with what, only 12 covers on the year, something in that range. They've been playing a little bit better down the stretch, but for the most part, they have been overvalued by the betting market. So there's a pretty rich uh, portfolio of, of evidence. If I get through that, uh, that would tell you that betting against Gonzaga, it's been pretty profitable throughout the entire season, but I'm not a bit, I'm not going to act like I've watched a lot of the San Francisco team, but from what I've seen and looking at some of their numbers, especially defensively in conference play, they have not blown me away, and that's not something I want to go to bat with against Gonzaga. All right. I just finished putting in BYU plus seven. Okay. Lost by six and one. And previous matchups don't always tell the tale, especially gonna, in tournament play, but what do you think? Close or not? Or they get blown off the floor? I didn't mention that it's a look-ahead spot for Gonzaga. I mean, it's the same thing for St. Mary's. Obviously, both of these teams are looking ahead 
in some way. It's so tough, especially in that game. Paces is going to be everything. And yep. I, I don't know who's going to control the pace. I would assume St. Mary's probably will because they usually do. 136 and 113 first two times. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess I would look at BYU first, but I don't. I don't love it. You're really agonizing. It's tough. Uh, I'm going. Uh, I'm going over there. I'm, not, I'm going over there. I probably should bet it, but I, I'm not sure. Uh, let's see. West Coast. Check that. Mountain West Conference. San Diego State plus 135. Boise 375. Utah State 375. UNLV 14 to one. Adam, you said earlier that you don't think the number one or two team will win the Mountain West Conference tournament. Yeah. So who is it? I mean. Reno is tempting a little bit. I just don't. I don't like the way they play down the stretch. But a lot of times you see teams gonna really start to put it together. Uh, I'm man. I would love to take a shot at San Jose at forty to one. Yeah. Best coach I, in the conference. Let's go. I'm with Adam. Like so, I would agree with Adam. Like in the general premise, that like yeah, one and two won't win it. Uh, and I would agree being tempted by San Jose State, but it's it would stink that you would assume they're gonna take on. Um, did I say San Diego State? I meant San Jose State, but it would you would it stinks because they would take on what San Diego State in the semifinals would yep. it be that way. Um, I got to tell you guys, I'd love to get your thoughts. I'm actually tempted by New Mexico, right? I, I like a team that has really good guard play in these tournaments where you got to play consecutive games and consecutive days. Guard play can carry a long way, especially if you get kind of hot um, and going through the path that they would have to go through. It's a little bit more of the manageable side of the bracket. Um, but I would, I'm with you. Like I think I'd rather go a little bit deeper on a card in a in a tournament and in a conference that seems to be pretty level. Like when a couple of these teams at the top. I think Utah State could easily win it. I just don't think it's a good enough number. The value stinks. Yeah. But they, they're the best offensive team. Yeah. Hey, even though the price isn't good, I'm I'm gonna go with Boise. I'm gonna go with Boise. All right, pack tell you that the, I was gonna say real quick. I will yep. tell you that I think UNLV is a little mispriced. Should probably be a little bit uh, longer than that. Longer shot, yeah. <laughs> Pac-12, UCLA plus 135, Arizona 2-1, USC 6-1, and there's a big drop-off, real big drop-off. Did you look at these numbers, John? Did you see anyone who's a long shot? I I think there's a chance that someone could come from the middle of the pack to win it. I don't know. I have, So this is going to be very chalky. I've, I've come to very much appreciate this UCLA team, mm-hmm. and Mick Cronin is somewhat of a psychopath. And you've seen this play out now for him. Like, you know, the game against Arizona, for example, to close out the regular season, the only thing they really have to play for is the fact that they think that they're being disrespected in like a fringe one seed. Right. Right. When the first projections came out, I can't remember the word that Cronin used, but he was pissed about it. And they have been playing like a team that even though they're one of the best in the college basketball, yep. uh, they've been playing like a team that has their hair on fire and feels like they're disrespected in some way. I know that's not analytical, but I just, I've been really impressed with the way that they've been playing. And much like we were talking about St. Mary's, except a little bit better on the offensive end, like UCLA is incredible. They're second in the country in defensive efficiency. They're top 25 team in offensive efficiency. I, I, in this conference, I find it hard to pick against a really experienced team like UCLA that has done what they've already done with the group that they have and is putting forth the statistical numbers that they are. Uh, if you're going to go coaches, for some reason, I just feel like, and I, I agree, I think UCLA is winning it, but can't bet it i don't i mean you can uh oregon looks pretty interesting to me just because of the coaching and their schedule is really easy down the stretch but they found a way to win three in a row they built a little bit of momentum going into the tournament i don't think they have the talent right now and i don't think they're a good enough team right now but i do know that he always finds a way to win games when he has to and if he's trying to salvage a season right now they might put something together 
Yeah, right now they're eight in the pecking order on the outside. Yeah. So get a couple wins, more than a couple wins, but get to the finals, all of a sudden they could move up and really threaten getting off the bubble and into the tournament. All right, John, give me your thoughts on Derek Carr and uh, how you're going to look at the Saints now from a betting standpoint. We don't know what the roster is going to look like completely, and, boy, I'd like to know what's going to happen to Kamara, but in terms of the NFC South, what do you think? So, okay, I feel like I wanted to, I'm going to be – I feel like this is somewhat Adam-esque. So, Adam, if you feel insulted by this, um, please let me know. <laughs> Are we sure he's better than the quarterback he's replacing? Because Andy, Andy, yeah. Andy – because I don't know, and I was listening. Maybe Adam did this already, but like Andy Dalton was pretty solid last year, and statistically, by many different metrics and whatever you want to look at, he was better than Derek Carr. I like I thought it was incredible. Every week when I would check in on the Saints, like the storyline from the media's perspective is, yes, Andy Dalton is still the starter. I'm like, yeah, he's got a PFF grade of over 80. <laughs> he's playing some pretty good football. So, and this is look. I'll say this. This is not really an insult, Derek Carr. I'm just saying if you're running to the window because you think the Saints are exponentially better than what they were last year because they got Derek Carr, I think that's my basic premise here. I would not think that. I think that is flawed logic. I think at the end of the day, it's almost like a lateral move for for Derek Carr moving from the production you got from Andy Dalton to where you're at now. Adam? He He stole your thunder, although I don't think you believe this. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's that much different. And and I also, uh, Dennis Allen had a quote today that I just I just looked at it, shook my head, and just said, I, I guess we get to say whatever we want now. He said he was talking about everything Derek Carr has showed in his career, and he said, from afar and when we played him as an opponent, I saw Derek's development into one of the most productive quarterbacks in the NFL. He didn't cross midfield <laughs> when you played him as an opponent. What are you talking about? Do words just not even matter? We just say whatever we want about people now? From when we played them? They didn't cross midfield. <laughs> it wasn't Derek. Andy Dalton did, by the way. He did cross midfield. A lot. A lot. Well, I was going to say a couple of times. <laughs> I don't think I'm being a hate. I think it's a fair, like, again, like, I'm not saying he stinks. I'm just saying if you think it's like it's like a massive upgrade to sign Derek Carr, I think you've really got to look at like evaluating quarterbacks and and what these two quarterbacks... If I gave you the blind resumes of both of these guys from last year and asked you who's the better quarterback, many people, without knowing who it was, would pick Andy Dalton. And then when you were... It, it would be a shock to realize who it actually was the, the guy that they were picking. JVT is with us. John Von Tobel, member of the company, of course, uh, works at VSIN. going to be doing uh, Lombardi Line 9 to 11 uh, this week on Wednesday. He'll be out here doing Cofield and Company Doing a double dip on, uh, no, Wednesday you're on, right? Wednesday you're on? Yeah, Wednesday. Yeah. Yep, yep. Tuesday and Wednesday. Um, last one. Rich Eisen's been, uh, been speaking out a lot about what he heard <laughs> behind the scenes in Indianapolis. Uh, one, the belief is that uh, Brady might not be done-done. And the other one is that the Packers are praying, maybe praying strong, really hoping that Rodgers, whenever he's ready to speak, says, I don't want to be in Green Bay. Kind of, make, kind, of makes the, kind of makes the Raiders market, you know, for a quarterback, the betting market, who their next quarterback is going to be, kind of interesting. Yeah, I mean, unless you believe so, and Adam might have some insight on this. I, there was a report over the weekend that Derek Carr's top choice with the New York Jets, and then the next day he signs with the New Orleans Saints. So does that tell you that the New York Jets, I, it was like one, it's one of two things, right? It's that the New York Jets feel like they can get Aaron Rodgers, and he's going to be the guy that they're going to acquire, right? Leading to the point where maybe Aaron Rodgers uh, does tell the Packers that he doesn't want to be back, or 
Is it that they were just hoping they could get Aaron Rodgers and wanted to keep Derek Carr on the back burner and they could be sitting there with no chairs once the music stops? So I think there's different ways to look at it. But overall, I mean, I got that sense too. We talked to Andrew Brandt on Lombardi line the other day when I was filling in and he said that the Packers are essentially are saying the same thing, that like we kind of hope that he's done so we can ship this guy off and we could start the Jordan Love era. And uh, I, I mean, look, Las Vegas makes a lot of sense. And I think the New York Jets do as well. And I think it makes sense now that Derek Carr has moved that it, the Jets maybe think they can get Aaron Rodgers. I also think the Jets, the, Derek Carr was the Jets' top choice, and they heard what the Saints were signing him to and just laughed. Yeah. You mean a two-year, $60 million deal? Yeah. Yes. Well, we, we already talked about it. It's two-year, $60 million. That's what the deal is. Uh, really, $70 million, but $10 million offset. But, right. Uh, yeah, that's what the deal is, but I think that's way too much. John, we're up against it. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. We'll see you tomorrow. See you guys.